So I had already known about this custom surfboard shaper on Maui up in Haiku. I was already following his Instagram account because I'm interested in surfboards. That's Alahe Izadi. Normally she hosts this show, but she's also a reporter here at The Post. And she recently went to Maui to report on the wildfire in Lahaina. It was the deadliest wildfire in the U.S. in more than a century. And Alahe went to learn how people are responding to this tragedy. That's why she wanted to meet up with the surfboard shaper. I saw after the fire on August 8th that he was posting all of these things on his page, soliciting surfboard donations as part of the surfboard replacement project. And he was looking to replace the surfboards of people who lost them in the fires. And so while I'm flying to Maui, I send him a message. And by the time I land, he says, yeah, come by the shop. And so I get off the plane, get into my rental car and drive up to Haiku, which is upcountry Maui. It's far from Lahaina. And I start talking to him. My name is Judd Lau and I shape surfboards and I coach um, young surfers here on Maui. Immediately, I was just struck by his sort of calm demeanor. And he, to me, felt like he had this sort of gentle spirit. He's a surfer. He's competed professionally. He coached kids to surf. Um, on the island and also in Lahaina Harbor. And as I'm talking to him, we're in his surf shop and it's it's a small room. So we are in the Poela Cannery here in Haiku, Maui. And um, this is an old pineapple cannery actually. 80 or 90% of the um, board manufacturers on Maui are here in this, in this facility, as well as a whole lot of woodworkers, so. Am I hearing board shapers and woodworkers? Board shapers and woodworkers, that's pretty much all you hear going on here. And there's just surfboards lining his walls, and there's trophies from his competitive days. And the surfboards that are sitting there are ones he's collecting to to give to people as part of the surfboard replacement project. And, you know, I'm talking to Judd, and within five minutes, I ask him, you know, was there, what was the point at which he realized, you know, the, the night of the fire, the day of the fire, that, wow, this is really bad. I feel like it's been getting worse every day since it happened. Like, I don't think most people actually realize how bad it is. I mean, if you really want to put it into... And then he starts telling me about all of these other tragedies that he's looked up, you know, because he can't sleep at night. He can't eat properly. And he's looked up, you know, the death toll of 9-11, for instance, and... Here on Maui, there isn't even a full number known of how many people are considered missing. You know, the official death toll right now is 115, but we don't even know yet how many people have not still been accounted for. In a community of 150,000, 200,000 at the most, I mean, not to diminish anything in New York, 9-11, but that was a few thousand out of millions of people in New York, right? So the effects, I think, are just beyond what anyone can even fathom. Wow. And he starts crying. His, you know, tears are welling in his eyes. He's wiping the tears with his T-shirt. And I apologize because in that moment, I'm realizing, Alahe, you just stepped off a plane. And everyone here, not just the people who fled fires in Lahaina, everyone here is traumatized by what has taken place. And meeting Judd so early in my reporting caused me to focus on this question of 
what does anyone do in the face of the unfathomable? And and realizing that this tragedy has touched everyone on the island. And for someone like Judd, who has been surfing for most of his life, you know, he didn't know what do you do in this moment, but he did know that he had to help people get back in the water. Surfing is like, an, I think it's a can be a great way for people to heal, like ocean therapy, saltwater therapy. It's it, the ocean is a healing place. You know, you get out and you're surfing. It really you don't think about anything else. So, a lot of times, like a lot of us here, it's like all we can think about is what happened. It's it's interesting, right? Like why focus on surfing? Why a surfboard when there are all of these mm-hmm. other immediate needs that have to be met. And yes, it's true. All of those things, housing, employment, food, even finding people, all of that is important. But Maui is this place where for a lot of people, the water is such a big part of their lives. And so how can they start Mm -hmm. to reclaim parts of their life? From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Friday, September 15th. I'm your guest host, Arjun Singh. Today, Alahe is going to take us to Maui, where some people are finding that their path toward healing is on a surfboard. So, Alahe, you and I sit together in the audio alley area here at the Washington Post, but recently I know that you have been spending a lot of time in Hawaii And it's not necessarily just because of the wildfires that happened, but you have a pretty strong personal connection to Hawaii itself, right? Tell me a little bit about that connection and what you were hoping to find when you went out there. I feel like a lot of people have a place where they feel most like themselves. And for me, that is Hawaii and especially Maui. I lived for a little bit on Maui. And during that time, I got to know people on the island and got connected to different communities. And it's a place where I feel like I've discovered a lot of myself and especially my love of the ocean of stand-up paddling and canoe paddling and surfing. And when I'm on Maui, I feel like it's a place, and a lot of people have this experience, where you just very much feel the connection between the land and the water and the people. And it's almost like a spiritual on a spiritual level, like you can connect very easily there. Yeah, I mean, Elahi, could you expand on that a little bit more about almost the spiritual role it sounds like surfing and surfboards play in Hawaiian culture? Yeah, so my understanding is there's been a lot of debate about when the earliest documented instances of surfing are found around the world, but it is something that has been cultivated and developed over centuries in Hawaii on the Hawaiian islands, and it's a big part of Hawaiian culture. And there was a period of time in which it started to get erased, as was a lot of things, like even speaking Hawaiian. Like there was a there were efforts made um, to curtail and push back and remove elements of Hawaiian culture. Um, and then there was this resurgence of of surfing culture on the islands. And so now, modern day, for people on Maui and throughout Hawaii, yes, there are people who make their livelihoods from surfing. There are people who are surf instructors, surf school instructors. They sell surfboards. There are people like Judd who shapes custom boards. 
And also for many people, surfing is just a part of their everyday lives. Like people go hit the waves after work, before work, after they drop their kids off from school. It's something they do with their friends, with their family, their local spots. So, you know, it is a thing that is not just reserved for like a small group of people, but a lot of people experience it. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like being in the water and being there in this almost sort of isolated state is a very critical part of all of this. Yeah, and the other part of this, in order to do that, is you need a surfboard. And so I mm-hmm. was very interested as to what a surfboard really is for people, especially after the fire. So I asked Judd, you know, it's more than a material possession to to people, right? And yeah, he was saying it's, it, it is like part of you. It's like an extension of yourself, really. And then the best surfers, like, you watch them, it's like you really see that. Your surfboard is like part of your soul. So, and when I looked at it that way, wow, to, like, be giving somebody back the thing they cherished the most and missed the most, it's a pretty special thing. And so when... When the fire happened, this connection, the special connection that people have with their surfboards became really apparent. And and Judd was telling me about the surfers he knew and what they did when the fire was coming. Because we have to remember, people had very little notice. Like, people were leaving their houses almost with only the clothes on their back. So what would you take if you only had a few moments? A non-surfer probably wouldn't understand, but... the all the surfers that I've talked to and some some surfers who lost their home and everything that had time to grab a thing or two, they grabbed their boards. I am not kidding. That's the first thing a surfer will grab is their surfboards before their photos, before their jewelry, before their passport, before anything. It's the very number one thing they're going to grab. I mean, it sounds so much like these surfboards are such a unique part of people's identity and almost reflections of themselves. So how has Judd been going about getting boards back to people? So he is using his Instagram account to tell people, if you need a board, let me know, send me a message. And he's posting these messages on his Instagram account. He's soliciting um, donations from people like, hey, if you have some, if you have a board that meets this length, this specification, because, you know, boards are all different and they allow you to do different things, then, then message me and I'll connect you. Or if you would like to help fund the shaping of a custom board, you know, Judd and other shapers on the island are volunteering their effort and their labor to shape new boards for people if they want custom boards. And there's one, at least one anonymous donor who's donated money to help pay for some of the cost of the materials. And, you know, it was also striking to me in learning about this because some of these shapers who are helping out with this effort, they are also like surf school instructors. And so when the fire happened, they lost their primary source of income because a lot of tourists stopped coming and there was a sharp decline Mm -hmm. in tourism. So to me, that sort of demonstrated the spirit, like the true spirit of aloha, which is a word, you know, we throw around, but really what it means for people in this moment is you give even when you feel like you don't have much to give. And that is something that I saw among everybody, including fire survivors. And the other thing that was really moving to see was I got to watch Judd shape a custom board for a fire survivor. And, 
you know, imagine you're like in this tight room and the lights are kind of low and there's like gentle Hawaiian music playing and he's wearing like this big ventilator mask and he's like taking a this big block and sanding down this board and there's white dust like flying everywhere and it sounds strange but it actually felt like a very beautiful meditative thing to watch. He has not surfed since the fire happened but for him this was almost a way for him to heal and he also told me that when he shapes a board, what he tries to do is picture the person riding the board as he's shaping it because that puts mana into the board. Mana is like an energy, a life energy, and he's trying to put that mm-hmm. into each board he's shaping. Wow. So, I mean, there's so much care and love that's going into creating these boards. Did you get a chance to talk to anybody who received these boards? Tell me a little bit about who who you talked to for this. Yeah, so there is a woman named Victoria Gladden who had reached out to Judd, and I got to meet her. And I'm born and raised in Lahaina and have lived there for my whole life. And I met her at this vacation rental in Kihei in southeast Maui where She's now staying with her daughters after they evacuated Lahaina in West Maui. They lost everything, including their surfboards. So in the days after the fire, Victoria, she's scrolling through Instagram, and she sees this post from Judd. First, I thought it was kind of like a scam. Like, (laughs) what? People are giving boards away? No, not even. And I was just... I was like, I mean, might as well go for it. She thinks, okay, let me just send this message and try. I saw your post on surfboards being lost in Lahaina fires. While we lost a few, I was hoping to inquire about two surfboards so my daughter and I can get in the water. Just super short and simple. And an hour and 15 minutes later, Aloha, I'm so sorry for all that you lost. Do you have any photos of your boards um, or any surf? photos of us. Um, So it's just this simple exchange, and he gets to work to try to replace her board. But after I spent a lot of time with Victoria, I really understood, you know, at that moment, Judd had no idea how much she needed those boards. After the break, we hear more from this family who lost everything in the fire and are just now getting back out on the water. We'll be right back. So, Halahe, tell me a little bit more about the this person, Vicky Gladden, that you met. She's a surfer. She's a mother. And you spent a lot of time with her as she's recovering from this disaster. What was that like? So first of all, Vicky is someone who just has like a really great sense of humor. She's really open and self-reflective. Um, she she worked part-time at this restaurant that's right on the water in a popular resort area just north of Lahaina Town. And she is hoping to study nutrition. She's also a single mother of two, a one-year-old Olivia, a five-year-old named Kai, and then her 14-year-old daughter, Brianna, lives uh, part-time in Kihei with Brianna's dad and stepmom. And so at the time of the fire, she was living in 
this multi-generational household. You know, her mom was there, her grandmother, her two cousins. And this house was also like a perfect situation for her. It had a little yard where she could grow food for her kids and they could play out in the yard and it had a carport. As she told me, she felt like she manifested this place. So when the fire happened, they were able to evacuate their whole family. And then days later, Vicky drove back down the highway and saw Lahaina from the road. And it was like as if a bomb had dropped. There's no buildings. There's no green. There's like nothing. And I was like, okay, maybe, just maybe our house was saved. And went a little further, checked for my sister's house. Her house was gone. And I got as far as I could before traffic started backing up. And I could just tell, like, there's nothing. There's no house. So turned around, went back to where we were staying, cried, cried, cried. She lost so much. She lost, you know, all of the journals that she's been writing and keeping. And she intended them to be guidebooks for her daughters. But also she lost five boards. and. It didn't immediately hit her what she lost after the fire. Um, Mm -hmm. Imagine losing everything and then you're just trying to live your life after and you're like, oh, there's this thing. And then you're like, well, I have that. I don't have it anymore. It's past tense now. So it wasn't actually until she saw Judd's post that she realized, oh, crap, I I lost five boards. Wow. I I mean, what... What was the emotion that was sort of stirring in her? What is Vicky's connection to surfing and what does it mean to her? For Vicky, it's a it's a really important thing for her on a cultural level. So she's 38. She started surfing when she was 18 years old. She's Polynesian, Samoan on her mother's side. So she's not Hawaiian, but she still feels a very strong connection to Hawaiian culture and Polynesian culture. And so for her on some level, it's to perpetuate Hawaiian culture. But then when she started having kids, it surfing's turned into this thing that was the one thing while she's doing it was just for her. It's not, you know, about being a mother. It's not about taking care of her girls. It's just like you on your board and that's it. And, you know, as she was telling me this, she had her one-year-old daughter on her hip and her five-year-old girl is trying to get her attention as she's telling me about this. It almost feels safe, like peaceful. Like I can listen to my thoughts clearly. And there's nothing there to, you know, scramble it up. (laughs) A whole family affair right there. I feel like every parent can relate to the, like, mommy, 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 trying to get your attention. Um, But it was almost like she was on her board in the water while she was talking about it. It's nothing like being in the water. Like, it's even more different when you're out in the deep water. Like, something so peaceful. Like, and like I said, like, it's just you... You're bored, and the wave you're going to catch, no one else going to do it for you except for you. (laughs) You do hear the zen in her voice. And, you know, what has her life been like since the fire? How has she been recovering? So the evacuation itself for her and her extended family, they left on August 8th 
ahead of when the big chaotic evacuation happened for a lot of people. They were told by her sister's neighbor, you guys should get out. So they were able to pack up and leave in a more orderly way. Um, And she feels so much gratitude for that because she has a 96-year-old grandmother and she didn't have to, you -hmm. know, who couldn't, has mobility issues. And they were able to get her out and her family out. And, you know, she didn't pack anything really for herself, which I thought was telling. Um, She just packed some clothes for her daughters. But even as she feels so much gratitude for her family being safe and even being able to evacuate that way, she feels a sense of almost guilt, um, survivor's guilt, which is so common after tragedies Mm, that, yeah. yeah, they lost everything, but she has her kids and they were able to leave in an orderly way. And so... She has classmates whose entire families are, have died um, or people who had wow. much more traumatic escapes. And so for her, it's this complex web of emotions of, you know, gratitude, survivor's guilt, and also like the very real grief for what she has lost and the uncertainty. But also what the fire took, were, she felt like were the things that were more for her, right? Um, she was about to yeah. start a new semester of school and you know, the fire happened and she wasn't back in school. And so she worried that she was going to lose her financial aid. And it just starts to, you know, cascade almost at a point when mm-hmm. when you realize everything that had been taken. And this, this sort of wave hit Vicky in a particular moment where we're sitting in the car. She had tried a second time to go see the house. She's prevented again from seeing the house that burned down. And she's just recounting everything that was taken from her in the fires. And she starts to break down. It feels like the universe is just taking it away from me. Took my town. Took my school. Like everything that I care about. And like I'm grateful because I have my kids. But like... I don't know. Is that the lesson? Like... No, I shouldn't be because I still have things that I like for myself. And I think that's what surfing is. And even that, like, when I realized my boards were gone, like, another thing taken away from me. Wow. I I mean, you, you can hear so much the complicated swirling of, of the survivor's guilt you talked about, Alahe, and, and the loss and... Yes, on top of that, as you had said earlier, she lost her means of being able to heal and her form of therapy and losing these boards. So what was it like when she was able to get a new board from Judd? How did she feel about that and what was her reaction? Yeah, so she was blown away because she was just expecting a board for her and a board for Brianna. And Judge shows up with three boards for Brianna because as he explained, well, she's a teenager and she's growing, so she'll have to grow with her boards. And that was, she was just so deeply moved and Brianna was so deeply moved by this act of kindness. And then uh, Vicky got a board back as well. And she, for her, she doesn't view it as a replacement, but it's almost like a new chapter. Mm -hmm. The board that burned in the fire Vicky's board. It was a 10-foot long board that she nicknamed Big Bertha. And so this new board that she got was 9-6. She has since named this board Stick. And I was able to go with Vicky and Brianna for the first time when they went back out on the water after the fire. And it was down in Kihei for a community paddle out, which is something that happens a lot on the islands and other places where surf culture is big. 
you paddle out on your board and you sit in a circle in honor of people who have died or in memory of something. So we get in and Vicky and Brianna, they put their boards in their water, the, their new boards. You know, Vicky's is like this long yellow long board and Brianna has like a green shorter board. And Vicky submerses herself and comes up and it sort of reminded me of what uh, one of the surfboard shapers who's helping with this effort told me that every time you get in a surf, it's like a baptism. And that's what it looked like in this moment was happening for Vicky. And so her and Brianna, they paddle out, they join the circle and you know, there's a chant and people are splashing water. And then at some point it feels like, okay, this is over. And so Vicky turns around and the water starts to swell beneath her and she's paddling away from the circle and a wave is forming behind her and she's, you know, slicing her arms in the water and she paddles, paddles, and then she catches the wave and she stands, um, which is like if every if you've never done that it's like such an amazing feeling because the ocean is just moving you forward and she's standing on this board riding this wave and this is the first wave that she's caught in a long time i later asked her you know what were you thinking about when you're in the ocean and she's like nothing <laughs> you know like nothing and there's so much for her to navigate right like does she yeah. have a job in the future where is she going to live permanently like all of those things like that that's all real she still has to deal with all that but when she was riding that wave it was like none of that existed in that brief moment but it just feels good like it feels good to connect with like where I feel most comfortable in the ocean but also just like with nature just something healing about it like worries are way I mean as much as like being in your own thoughts and just thinking about what had happened like just being out here just shows me like life goes on you just follow the glimmers and this was definitely more than that this was this was a late Wow. I mean, that, that's amazing. And then the other thing that was just so striking to me in this moment is her house burned to the ground in Lahaina. This was her hometown. And housing on Maui is expensive. And the road ahead is really uncertain, but that she could not picture herself being any other place. Like this is, this is just my favorite place in the whole entire world is the ocean. Like... I will never, ever live in a place where I cannot be in the water. I wouldn't. No way. What kind of life would that be? Listening to all of this, I hear such a difference. I I almost hear, I don't want to say that there's peace of mind because I know that there's clearly so much going on with her, but it seems like there's a little bit of her that has been restored. And I guess to go back to when you were at that surf shop with Judd, you know, did he realize the impact that he was going to be able to have on these people and the way that surfing helps people heal? You know, as I was with Vicky for several days and then seeing what this experience of her getting her board back was like, I just made me think about 
his Instagram grid and like every single post has will have a story like this, right? This is one person's story, one family's story, but every single person who's receiving a board back has their version of this story. And it really got me thinking, you know, when I saw Vicky surfing about it got me thinking about Judd and the other people on Maui who are really coming together and doing these things to try to provide some sort of path forward for healing for others and also for themselves. And that people are connecting in these ways, even if they don't know how profound the connections will turn out to be. Yeah. Well, Alahe, thank you so much for sharing that story with us. And it was great to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, Arjun. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Emma Talkoff with help from Alahe Izadi. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Monica Campbell. Thanks to Stuart Leavenworth and Tamir Khalifa. Our team includes Maggie Penman, Rena Flores, Ted Muldoon, Martine Powers, Alahe Izadi, Monica Campbell, Eliza Dennis, Alana Gordon, Ariel Plotnick, Jordan Marie Smith, Rennie Svernowski, Sabby Robinson, Emma Talkoff, Sean Carter, Robin Amer, and Renita Jablonski. Our intern is Trinity Webster Bass. If you love the show, help other people discover it by leaving a rating on Spotify or a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Arjun Singh. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. <laughs>